Welcome back to Season of Reflections, Episode 4. Looking forward to this. Now, we've had a good run recently, some great guests. Go back and have a listen to them. We had some really interesting people recently. We've been looking across different sectors. We had Professor Brendan Kelly. That was an enjoyable. Yeah, we had Eric Corum, which was a really interesting podcast as well. And Laura Lacombe, one of my favourites. And Cal Newport, both talking about slow productivity and mindful productivity. Very interesting. So today we're going to have a dive into lots of different people. We're going to start with Brian Keane. Brian Keane, obviously fitness coach, author of the Keen Edge PT podcast host. After that, we're going to listen from Brett Bartholomew, the man with the beard, coach, founder of the art of coaching. Then we're going to have Pat Divoli, emotional resilience, well-being coach, and obviously has his own podcast as well. Check that out. Anna West worked with Brentford, sleep recovery specialist, has loads in that podcast. Definitely go back and listen to Anna West. Johnny Cooper has won a couple of All-Irelands with Dublin and now very much renowned as a leadership coach. And then Lady Chanel McCoy of Chanel McCoy Health. That was an excellent podcast as well that we really enjoyed, Kiran. But what are we going to be talking about today? Brian Keane initially is going to talk about being the king of saying no, understanding what fills his buckets so he can use what he's doing in his day-to-day. His, so he's not just feeling like he's always on the go, but actually stuff that will fill up his energy levels so he can go again and keep performing at a high level, which he's been doing for years. We move on to Brett, and Brett has worked across the SEALs, he's worked across the NFL, and he talks about something being unapologetically authentic, which is excellent because we have to understand ourselves to enjoy our jobs, but also to get the most out of our career, to have achievement and success in personal and professional life. Pat Divley, he's been a huge impact on the Irish population. On us, recent book, The Fit Mind, is brilliant. He talks about the fear wall. When we come up against challenge, we often get focused on one area. Instead of seeing, why am I doing this? What's on the other side of that wall if I'm going to scale it, if I'm going to take the risk of getting up to them heights? We move on then to Anna West and making some serious inroads in terms of how important sleep is, a high performance and elite performance. What are our motivations in terms of getting better at sleep? Why are we doing it? Looking then into the All-Ireland winner, one of my favourites, Dublin man, Johnny Cooper. He talks about being unrivaled and talks about aligning culture and providing space for people to share their feelings, their experiences in order to make the overall better. Looking at synergy across multiple teams, multiple people and having that collaborative learning environment in order to bring everyone together and make the most out of having a group of people interact and be as one. Finally, Lady Chanel McCoy, and she's going to touch on what experiences she has working and also looking to how her husband informed her and how her daughter informed her about what being a high achiever and a high performer, what it's all about from going from one aspect and climbing the ladder and success in a short space of time. So listen out for that. And now let's get to all those guests. Hey everybody, I'm Brian Keane from Brian Keane Fitness. This is my episode on sleep, eat, perform, repeat. Enjoy. To be honest, I'm the king of saying no to things. And I'm also, because of that superpower, a superpower that I've learned, it makes it easier to say yes to the things that I love to do. So for the most part, everything you've mentioned there, books, podcasts, courses, programs, interviews, chatting with people, doing the appearances I get to do. They're all things I would do for free, things I absolutely love doing. So they don't take away from my life in any way. They fill me up. Now, of course, there's a danger in the dose approach. If I work around the clock all the time, you know, you get burnt out the same as anything. Like I love working out, but if I do it seven days a week, I get burnt out. And one, 
I generally ask anything I do, whether it's course related, program related, podcast related, book related, work or professional related, does this thing deplete me or does this thing fill me up? And I try and do considerably less of the things that deplete me. And if they do, I try and hire somebody else to do it. I'm in a fortunate position. Like, you know, I have a great team and I have people who, are, who help me. I've got people who are working in the business. I've got freelancers who work on the business. And anything that falls into, you know, my drudgery zone, I split things into my desire zone and drudgery zone. Desire zone is the things that I love to do. And the drudgery zone is the things I hate. So I don't like email. So you will not get me on email generally, maybe once a week. I have my team doing that. But you get me on Instagram DM. I check my Instagram DMs because I can chat to people properly on there. Like, yes, you do. So, yeah, so I'm on there, you know. And so I, I'm clear on what's in my drudgery zone and I try to either automate it, um, eliminate it or delegate it. So once I'm approaching and taking everything I do with that mindset and then asking these things under the desire zone that fill me up and don't deplete me, I'm just doing that consistently over time. And, you know, that's only a, a chunk of my life. I'm very fortunate with the family and friends. I have my partner and my daughter, you know, incredible people around me. Like they're the things that I love what I do. I absolutely love all the opportunities and the things I get to do. But at the end of the day, they're, it's lower down on the list of my priorities. My priorities is, you know, being a dad, being the partner I'm supposed to be, being with my family, being showing up the way I'm supposed to with them. So if I, as long as I don't lose sight of that, everything else just feels like bonus territory because they're all things that I love to do. So although from the outside, it might look like I'm doing a lot and we probably are, I'm pretty good with productivity and batching tasks, etc. But it's, it's all because it's stuff I love to do. And again, I'm in a fortunate position. I wasn't always like that when I was working as a primary school teacher, like that felt like work. I knew every Friday I was going home for the weekend and I knew every Sunday I'd had to go back to work on Monday where I don't really feel like that anymore. And I haven't in years. So I'm in a very fortunate position. I know not everyone's in that bracket, um, but it is something that was a goal once upon a time that, I've since kind of hit and now it's just a case of doubling down on what's working. This is strength coach, author, and keynote speaker, Brett Bartholomew from artofcoaching.com. And this is my episode with Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. You know, we talk to people a lot about behavior, rituals, habits, what, make, what makes them tick. We're curious as to how do you show up in the world and, and why is it a beard you've gone for? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you some inside scoop since you went with an original opening, since you guys were true pros and how you reached out and you were super patient and awesome during what is a wild time in my life right now. So you're going to get some inside scoop. It actually took a long time to get this beard. You might not know this, David, but through college, I had really bad acne and no beard. I thought it was acne. I mean, I was on like this serious, most like nuclear bomb type stuff for acne in the world. Little did I know that it was just manly follicles of hair trying their best to get through and giving my face this reddish irritation that made women flock to me with wild abandon. No, but like, I think the beard came in really around like 25, 27. I couldn't rock it for a while because I did a lot of work with military in addition to, to pro sport and youth sport. And whenever I went on a military base, well, certain military bases in particular, when we did work with the Navy, you could not have facial hair. Um, that said, when I went to other military bases, like it became a, a point of endearment and actually uh, was a buy-in piece for us. Meaning I, I'd gone and given a presentation on periodization and program design to some folks that I think they were uh, Marines. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I remember I was heading home and one of the guys goes, you know what I like best about your presentation? And I said, what? And he goes, your beard. He goes, keep that going if you want to earn our respect. And I just laughed my ass off. But um, yeah, the, I, I think the thing is just, 
I'm a little rough around the edges. I'm more of an anti-hero. I'm not really somebody that's super clean cut. I'm not the person you probably bring your uh, bring home to your mom and and they think this is the guy that wears layered coats and cardigans and <laughs> you know I'm not a fall catalog. I'm a little bit more Eddie Brock and Venom than I am Tobey oh, Maguire yeah. and Spider Man. And so the beard just kind of feels a little bit more of who I am, man. I'm I'm an imperfect mess of a human being, and the beard says I want to go along for the ride. Talk to us about were you always comfortable with being that imperfect person or you mentioned before recently actually about facades and people put up facades these days sounds like you just are gone past that and there's not one bit of you that's not authentic anymore it's interesting right like because we all have parts of ourselves that are inauthentic whether we try to do that or not it's it's a form of like what irving goffman would call impression management but there's functional inauthenticity right where we all wear different masks for hopefully a utilitarian purpose um but i'm pretty boring you know i uh, i think a lot of that is what I experienced at an early age, nearly losing my life, man, knowing that there's some members of my family that, uh, sure, we've had like a centenarian and all that, but we've also had people that die relatively young. I really just don't have time to waste with with a lot of that stuff. I've, I'm 35, I'll be 36 this year, but I feel like I'm going on 80. And so for me, being just who I am is a really nice way to help better determine who's meant to be along my side. Right. If I try to please everybody, I try to suck up. I try to do this. If I would have taken every job, everybody thought I should have taken. And I mean, you should. A, a prime example uh, I'll give you is in 2015, I was offered a job at the NFL. I would have worked with a very dear friend of mine, and I would have taken it. It certainly like wasn't. Oh, I was too good for it. But I had already taken a job somewhere else. The amount of fake friends I had 24 hours after I had received that offer was unbelievable. I would say even after writing conscious coaching, I mean, there were plenty of people that were just not super kind to me coming up in the field. You know, I, I think if you're, when you're young in the field and you have a hunger, people look at you, especially members of the old guard and strength and conditioning, like you're trying to like prove them wrong or steal their market share. And I, I was never some guy that wanted to say, oh, this kind of training is stupid. That's this, you know, I, like I was just a student of the game. It's kind of like my love for hip hop. I love hip hop. And if you, if you watch great rappers talk about other great rappers, they're always giving each other credit. But you know, I, you get this chip on your shoulder after a while because you just start realizing like, listen, I'm going to stay in my lane over here. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to double down on this. I'm not really going to get into the contentious stuff. And when you do that and you're not polarized, you find that other people that aren't enamored with sexy, dramatic nonsense are, are more likely to come to your side. And I hope that's what we're creating in Art of Coaching and, and what we do and what we did with Conscious Coaching is saying that you can be the kind of coach you want to be. You don't need to follow some mold. You don't need to be this kind of person, that kind of person. You just need to be flexible within the realities of who you actually are and and own that. But I think that's really hard for coaches to do because that's not that's not etched in coach development. You just see in leadership development, everybody's carbon copies of another copy of another copy. And so sometimes you just need to be unapologetic, especially in gotcha society, right? I tell my wife every day, I'm like, oh God, there's here. who knows when we're going to get canceled because somebody took something I said on the microphone out of context, but it's just kind of exhausting to be anything else other than yourself, I think. Something I'm always interested in, we spoke about at the start, was imposter syndrome and stepping outside the comfort zone. So you've just mentioned there in, in Irish society, especially, it's kind of don't step out of line, keep keeping your lane. When you're facing something like recording the audiobook and you really don't want to do it, do you have a process or an exercise you use to just initially take that first step towards it and actually get it done rather than putting it off through the hardship or the assumed angst that it would cause you. 
Yeah, uh, there's lots of different approaches. I mean, when it's fear that I'm coming up against, there's an exercise in the book called the fear wall that I talk about. And really the concept or idea behind that is if we think of our fear as a big wall that's in front of us and the bigger the fear, the bigger the wall. For a lot of us, we're just staring at the wall and it's terrifying. You think I'm going to fall off that thing. That's so big. That's, you know, that wall is huge. Or we look at our fear and we just see, you know, what happens when we're afraid of something is our attention on or sorry, our awareness of everything that's happening shifts to attention. It's like we put the blinkers on and we only see worst case scenario. So I'll do a little exercise of kind of thinking about what's on the other side of this wall. There's no point me climbing a wall if there's nothing worthwhile on the far side. And so I look for the potential positives that are going to come on the far side and I try to increase my attention. So again, going from just looking at the fear to thinking about what are the five, six, ten things I stand to gain um, if I'm willing to step into this. Um, so that's one piece. And then the other big piece for me I've gotten big into Richard Swartz's work over the last two years, it's, um, or last year even. Um, he's the man behind the internal family systems. Himself and Gabor Mate have influenced me. And a lot of their work is this idea that when we were young, we experienced things that were overwhelming or scary. And in those moments, it's almost like those parts of us got frozen in time. So if you imagine a child that gets bullied at five or six years old and the child almost freezes in time, and develops some psychological defense mechanisms to stop that from happening again. So maybe they become the tough guy, or maybe they become the funny girl, or maybe they become the loner. But the mind comes up with primitive and you know young ways of keeping themselves safe going forward. And as we get older, these parts of us are still there. So if I get intimidated and I experience imposter syndrome, generally it's not 34-year-old Pat that's experiencing that. It's a younger part of myself that was overwhelmed at one point. So I try to go back in time and I recognize, okay, that's a part of me that's afraid of judgment from other people. Really, the 34-year-old me is not afraid of too much judgment. However, the younger parts of me that are still there are definitely afraid. So I check in with myself. I say, okay, I'm feeling overwhelmed right now. I feel this sense of imposter syndrome. I feel like people are going to laugh at me. I feel like I'm going to be ridiculed. I feel like I'm going to be exiled from the tribe. I close my eyes. I check in. Okay, okay, what part of me is that? And I just try to soothe that part. And that could be just some deep breaths. It could be having a conversation with myself. It could be just reassuring myself that even if everything I do flops, I've still got myself. I've still got the people around me. So a couple of those things have been useful for me. You've got some amazing concepts towards the end of, of Fit Mind. Two really stood out. Oftentimes, we're trying to impress other people, right? We're trying to you know, show up to other people, like you said, maybe the persona and you're playing a certain character. But you say it's really important to have a meeting with the most important person in the world. And, and then you also talk about date night. And so when reading that, we kind of went, oh, that's about the partner, that's about your wife, that's about your husband. But it, it, it isn't. Those two concepts are really, really important, I think, really profound. And we actually hadn't really read it or heard about them before. Just share as to what the two of them mean. Yeah, I suppose the first piece, you know, I've said for years that any relationship that we want to improve in life requires three things. It requires taking time for the person, being present with the person and getting to know them on a deeper level. So if I have a friend and I never take time for them, they're not going to feel appreciated. Uh, if I do take time for them, but I'm always on my phone, I'm disconnected, I'm not present, they're not going to appreciate that. And finally, if I do take time for them and I'm present, but I'm asking the same questions every day, we're not going to go any deeper. So I, I kind of flip the script and I bring it back to ourselves and I ask, do I take time for myself? Am I present with myself where I'm not connected to anything? That's why the journaling comes in. And then again, the journaling comes in with, am I asking myself new questions every day and deepening my understanding of myself? 
there's this idea that 95% of our thoughts will tend to be very similar to yesterday. So we're just living out these cycles and we're showing up again as the younger versions of ourselves, as opposed to showing up to each interaction as a new person in the present moment. So the deepening the relationship really is, is, is again, uh, just this recognition that we have to invest in things that are important to us in our lives. And there's, it's such a fast paced world and there's such, uh, it can be overwhelming and that there's so much vying for our attention. So I think it's got to be a conscious choice to come back to ourselves and make that time. And that's where the date night idea comes in. I suppose naively, I wrote my last book probably seven years ago. It was called Upgrade Your Life and it was very goal setting-esque. Um, and that's why I wrote this one was because people would ask me at seminars, have you got a book? And I was almost embarrassed to send them back to that one from a couple of years ago because I'm in a very different place. But I remember when I released that book, some people were leaving reviews and they were saying he's a bit naive and thinking people are going to be able to do all this stuff. It's too much. It's, you know, if, we've, if you've got a family and you've got, you've got a lot of commitments, it's going to be too much. And in retrospect, I probably was naive. I was 24, 25, um, a little bit older, but I didn't have family or any of that kind of stuff. And, and so this idea of the date night is, can I give myself one hour in the week? There's 168 hours in the week. Can I take one hour for myself? And I mentioned a story in the book where there was a lady that came to one of my retreats and her husband contacted me after and he said, my wife has completely changed since that retreat. She's an amazing, like an even better mother, even better partner. She's happier in herself. And the one change she had made was that at the retreat, we had done salsa classes. And that was something she had done in her younger years that she had given up. And since the retreat, she had gone to salsa classes once a week for an hour. And it was that idea that when you fill your own cup, people talk about this all the time, fill your own cup first. The date night is the idea of, can I fill my own cup? Can I do something just for myself? Um, that helps me connect to myself and helps me to just, yeah, f fill up so that I can give my best to the people around me. That's brilliant. Great. Um. And now having touched on evening, nighttime, we're very much getting an understanding that it's about what you do in the day that sets you up to have a consistent pattern that will help you perform well in whatever space that is. So what, what should we do when we wake up? What we shouldn't do is to lay around in bed and, and snooze and so forth. When the body is waking up, it's very important for us to actually accept the fact that the daytime has arrived and that we need to get up. What I always try to recommend is to use common sense and remember that we are, in a sense, still working as cavemen. So back in the days where we were you know, living in cages, we would, we would come out of the cave when the sun was rising and the temperature was rising and things would usually go in a slow pace. Today, we, at least a lot of people would go on their iPhone and have a tsunami of information you know, placed right into their brain and their head straight from, from the minute that we wake up. I always recommend people to kind of create a slow way of waking up but also to allow the body to actually rise up in the sense that not doing it too slow so that the system is actually not accepting the fact that we have to, to wake up. I recommend always to take a cold shower in the morning because that pushes the pulse level up. The opposite, taking a, a, a warm shower in the evening, which can also bring the temperature inside the core of your body down so that you're kind of signaling to the body that now it's time to get up. What I also talk a lot with my athletes about is the fact that the body needs time to adapt from a, from a temperature perspective. So if they know that they have an early morning training session, waking up 10 minutes before you actually have that training session is actually not optimal. You need to allow the body to have a, a period of time to adapt to the fact that you have to go and take on load. That's fantastic. So 
keep going with the cold immersion, keep doing the Wim Hof breathing and ice showers, <laughs> which which is very difficult, but persevering. It's super, di- super difficult, but very effectful. How important is it in terms of reducing down these actions and like we can't always say we'll have the cold shower how do you get someone to buy in to create a habit around that action i can ask you what would it require for you to buy into a habit oh if it's a cold shower (laughs) an awful (laughs) lot of persuasion i think i have been trying to do it but it's very difficult to keep it consistent i suppose that's where education's important right exactly and that's a little bit my point you need to educate but you also need to build in some ammunition some good arguments around why you should actually do it Usually I say, and this is a slightly sidetracking the subject, but if you tell a male athlete that we know from a scientific perspective that men who sleep on a routinely basis five hours or less per more will have smaller testicles and thereby smaller testosterone production than someone sleeping five hours or more per night, you suddenly have an argument. Nobody wants small balls, but an athlete also doesn't want really to have you know, a low testosterone production because that also means low recovery ability. Right. So suddenly it becomes a competitive edge if they know why. Well, if they know how, but also why to do it. So you need to build in this, you know, knowledge about why it's important to do it, how they do it, but also some, you know, crucial motivational factors that can actually push push them to do it. Every male listener will be getting more than five hours sleep tonight. <laughs> yeah, pause, pause, it, it works, usually rewind, it works pretty well when I'm speaking to the male athlete. Though. There you go. You're welcome. Subtracting innovation, tech, supplements, all that fancy stuff, but really getting down to the fundamentals. A huge issue for a lot of people surely is sleep latency. Like they're yes. they're lying there at night and maybe they're reflecting on something that didn't go so well or they're stressing about their big interview or presentation tomorrow and or the big game and they're it's 38 minutes later, they're looking at the clock, they get up, they just get more stressed and they don't sleep for, for until two in the morning. What can we do? What can we help to get to sleep a little bit quicker? With the fear of sounding like everyone else working in the field, that the fact of unwinding before you go to bed is extremely important. But the fact about being able to get your arousal levels down more times during the, the day is actually very effectful as well. So if you are someone struggling with what you call sleep latency, the inability to fall asleep when you actually want to fall asleep. The way that we need to create strategies is not only what we do before we get to the point where we want to go to bed, but actually how we remove stress in the body during the day. What I work with quite a lot with my athletes and corporate people in general would actually be breathing exercises. And it sounds maybe a little bit strange that breathing earlier in the day can actually affect how I will fall asleep at night. If we have a high stress level consistently throughout the day, the level of stress hormone is going to be high in the evening. And if that stress level is very high, we will produce less melatonin, which is the the hormone that makes us fall asleep. So we kind of want to level that before we go to bed, earlier than actually in the process of going to bed. And then, of course, unwinding before going to bed. I usually like compare it with talking with someone who has a small child here, and you wouldn't put heavy metal into the ears of your child just before you would put that child into his crib, right? That's a little bit the way that you need to view your brain and, and your body, that we need to kind of calmly unwind in the, in the sense that the body wants to have 
an ability to put a full stop to the day before we actually go into the bed. What a lot of people do is that they they pace themselves with, you know, 200 kilometers per hour just until the point where they go to bed. And then they expect that everything in the body will just respond and then fall asleep. And this is not at all how we are built. I'd like to jump back to communication in a little bit, if possible. But uh, I ended up on a YouTube rabbit hole recently. And so I was going around looking for inspiration and landed on yourself, giving a talk to Dublin City University. And it was about being unrivaled and it's looking at your new venture. In terms of the talk, you get, you spoke about snakes and ladders and how the road isn't always straightforward. We go up and down and we have setbacks and we face adversity. For your personal experience, has there any big adversity moments that have changed the way you approach things or harnessed resilience in you and boosted your personal development, your professional development over the years? Yeah, um, the Be Unrivaled space, actually the nucleus of it for me and the Be Unrivaled, the, the actual definition, if you like, is kind of being out there on your own, having no rival or competitor. And that, that, that space as a whole was something that intrigued me, that it, I was attracted towards, you know, you know, obviously you're, you're trying every day. I'm certainly not there and probably never will be there as such, but you're trying every day to get there. So I was just attracted to it from a personal point of view, uh, from a uh, competitive point of view. And I, it actually originated from a guy that used to manage us, uh, Jim Gavin, and just having a conversation. I was actually getting some feedback one day and he said, well, what are you going to do? I mean, there's a hundred things that you need to do every week and how are you going to behave and act? And I just said, I'm going to be unrivaled. It kind of started from there. And then I thought, you know what, how can some of the skills and some of the experiences, some of the theoretical and practical um, exposure that I've had the last number of years, how could I actually go back and help people that are, you know, maybe a little bit younger, maybe are, are athletes themselves, or maybe are just um, competitors or in a corporate or a business sense in the last couple of years. That kind of brand, if you like, has, has uh, I, I brought it out there and I've um, been lucky enough to work with some teams and some individuals uh, within that space. And I, I, I I, I think the adversity side of things, I've experienced it and I'd be very open. I have been in the past. Um, a number of things on and off the pitch have probably been standout for me, but there was one, and I'm happy to talk about it because I, I think there's learning in it, albeit it was, it was through um, an experience that I wouldn't wish as such on anybody in 2014, coming home from a night out, got attacked. I won't go into detail on the actual attack, but, you know, quite... Um, quite lasting in terms of the way in which it all happened and the experience and the exposure that I would have received and as a result then probably put myself really out there um, from an expose myself um, from that point of view and it was very very uncomfortable adversity came to my door very quickly you know I got attacked so those physical implications there but also brought a bit of I guess probably embarrassment and a couple other things and as I said in here in Ireland Gaelic football is quite a small you know albeit it's followed across the country it's quite a small but nonetheless would have got um I guess pe- people they asked some questions and brought attention that I didn't really want and I guess long story short after that particular attack they just attack a bit like a tornado and um, I was kind of being pushed away from the center the whole time because the wind was circulating and the pressure was really just forcing me to go underground bury my head which I did for a while but then after a couple of days and probably about two weeks of that particular incident, I just said, you know what, I need to go back into the centre here. Um, it's the calmest place of a tornado and just kind of went out there and just faced up to to announce my, my kind of mistakes, if you like. And from there, I just got a really good appreciation of, you know what, 
you know, and it's probably a little bit complacent, probably a little bit egotistical at that time um, for a few different reasons. And just gave me a good grounding of, you know what, everybody's quite equal here. You just need to go back. And pretty much from then on, I've been lucky enough to interact with, you know, Saracens Rugby in the UK and Richmond uh, AFL in Australia and visit Munster Rugby, Leinster Rugby, loads of different teams and people that are... And since then, I just had that kind of, I guess, yeah, curiosity to... Yeah, being rivals, grand to say that and be out there on your own, have no competitor, but what are you actually going to do? And for me, that kind of adversity um, gave me that spark and kind of kick-started me to put the two feet firmly on the ground and make sure every day that you're doing the same and you're having honest conversations and being honest with yourself to, I guess, ultimately get a little bit better every day. Something that rings true to for me when I reflect and look back on my journey, and, and obviously, every, and you mentioned the snakes and ladders, some people will, will hit a a ladder and kind of you know off they go up a couple of rungs on, on the board and some people might hit a snake or a challenge along the way and they and they slide back down and i think the important thing is to understand what well, well two things actually one is that that you ultimately have the power to, to kind of more time or the more you invest into something and um, you know it's a bit like going into your exams or your study in school or your academia you know if you're in the right headspace and you've invested the time you know you'll probably you know be be set up for success in some way be it there or another point in time so i think you have the power and understanding that is crucial but then i think having and trying to establish and of course as a 15 16 year old it's just so much going on and even into your late 20s 30s and beyond you still haven't figured it out fully but if and when say you wanted to play and use the example that you used there some 15 year old was was wanted to play for dublin at some point and gaelic football for their own county or, or hurling whatever it may be here in ireland that they really have a connectedness to that. They really understand, okay, it's going to come with sacrifices. It's going to come with challenges. It's going to come with, you know, I need to learn lots of things. But their anchor, if you like, to the seabed is always that. Um, so when there's a storm on the top of the, the ocean water or when there's a windy day or even a sunny day, that they always the anchor is to the bottom. And trying at some point to figure that out. What is my anchor? What's my higher purpose? What's the, the driver that's really going to take me through the good and the kind of bad days and keep me grounded? So. I guess ultimately understanding that they have control of their destiny and then when they understand that, trying to trying to anchor that to something that's really, really strong that ultimately will, will as I said, take them through good and bad days. Actually, it's funny, you know, AP always says, you haven't failed, you're just waiting to be great. And I think that's really important because for me, failure is a necessary stepping stone to succeed. And there's so many mistakes that I made, especially back probably in the early years when we were scaling Chanel Medical, that I've been able to now apply to our new business that Caroline and I set up in 2015, you know, the, the our, our CBD business, which is very much has been a startup business from nothing, having no infrastructure there, you know, not having the luxury of, of having the infrastructure from Chanel Pharma. But it's all about root causing, you know, it's it's where did I go wrong? At what stage? Why did I go wrong? What are the learnings that I can take out of that? And it was never about blame, you know, blame yourself or beat yourself up. Yes, you do. But it was like, there's an opportunity here. The mistake I made, there is an opportunity because I'm going to learn something from this mistake. And I'm going to make sure that I'm never going to repeat that mistake again, because I'm going to put procedures or processes or I'm going to upscale myself. So for me, mentoring somebody or helping them, pulling them aside, it is where do you think you went wrong? Why do you think you went wrong? 
you know, could you have prepared better? I think as well, when, when you talk to maybe younger people, and I always say to them, look at who is best in class and strive to be better than them. And I talk about people being a high achiever. I talk to my kids, you, you need to want to be a high achiever. It's about how do you become a high, high performer and how do you consistently stay a high performer? It's about having goals. It's about having that tactical plan underneath the goal. How am I going to get there? Right. You know, I want to do X. Okay. That's fine. Great. I've got my goal. How am I going to get there? What's my roadmap? It's been very focused. It's about looking at, you know, like I look now at my daughter in show jumping. She's 13. She is, she's quite like AP in terms of her determination, her obsession. She's not happy until she's winning. You know, last year it was all about getting on the team, the English team. I just want to ride for England. I'm thinking, She's 12. There is no chance she's going to get on the English team. This is what I'm saying to myself. I've just, we've just come back from a trip. You know, she's on the English team. She wins gold, you know, and I'm just came home and I said to AP, how did that happen? The last six months, how the hell did she get herself from where she was onto the English team and then actually winning gold? Like that's just, you know, crazy. And he just said, because she is so determined and she's got goals and she is not happy until she's got there. So, so I don't, I'm not bigging my daughter up at all. And it could be just a fluke. That, that put money on her. Put money on her. <laughs> she won't go. But, you know, so, so being a high achiever, again, you're just, you're not born. It's not in your DNA. You know, you, you got to plan it. You got to have milestones. You got to celebrate the list of successes on the way. You never, you don't ever become complacent because there's someone that's going to be better than you right behind you. But you look at who is best in class, you get there. And when you get there, you then become better than them. AP always talks about when he came over to England first, he used to watch Richard and Muddy all the time. And all he used to say was, I want to be like Richard. And he'd sit in the wear room beside him. He'd watch everything. He'd watch what time he'd come into the wear room, what time he'd leave, what he'd drink, everything. And when he got to where, got to that level, he was like, well, I'm now going to be better than Richard and Muddy. And I think we all need somebody to emulate or to that you want to be better than that because it just keeps you wanting to achieve more and more until until you get there. Hope you enjoyed those insights from our great guests. A few key takeaways we learned. One, having self-awareness is a superpower. Being unapologetically authentic is something that will separate you and make sure you get energy each and every day from what you're doing. Two, in order to get the best out of ourselves, we need to know what our motivations are for changing habits and behaviours. It's so vital that we understand why we're doing what we're doing. And finally, when we think of high performance culture, we have to give people the space to work well together. And after all those takeaways from all those great guests, let's touch on who's coming up on the podcast on CP Performer Pete. We've got Marie Gleason from the Navy. She's going to be talking a lot about her leadership going to have Mike Brown, the Harlequins of England rugby player. We're going to have Fiona Brennan of The Positive Habit. And then Cody Royal, the coach, who's actually going to be doing this with us in our studio in Dublin very soon. So lots of interesting people coming up. Really looking forward to it. Again, thanks to everyone for giving the feedback. Lots of the reviews. We're getting a lot of great insights as to this podcast and how it's evolving. So keep those coming. Thanks for listening. And, and do go back and listen to all those guests that we talked about today because there's an awful lot more wisdom 
and learnings with respect to each of those episodes. So again, thanks very much for joining today. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A-Life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.